Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. John Schmelk, Lance Meadow with you. The phone number is 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat. It's all brought to you by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes throughout the year. We'll have Paul Schwartz in the New York Post, who had a big article on the Giants and their quarterback situation late last week. He's also in Atlanta for the Super Bowl. So we'll talk about that stuff with Paul at 1215. Uh, we will try to take a couple calls before we get to Paul, and then we'll take some calls after the interview with Paul as well. Lance, what's going on? Very excited for uh, Super Bowl 53. Uh, I'm not necessarily a big fan of the huge buildup. My feeling is let's get to the game, let's get it over with, and let's move forward. In an ideal world, I'd actually get rid of the week in between. I don't think we need two weeks in between. Come on, Lance. You need the hype. No, I think we can live without the hype. I think it's more than capable of uh, getting ready after the conference championship game. The only, the only good thing I think you get is that both teams are healthier. And, you know, you give guys a little extra time to get healthy. Guys that are hurt have a better chance of getting back. That's the only good argument for me for having the two weeks in between. Well, to me, it's similar to baseball. When they had the baseball playoffs and they used to give some of these teams like extra days off in between games, especially right. when there wasn't travel, what you would do is you'd give a team that doesn't have a deep rotation the ability to get away with like a three-man starting yeah, rotation. That's true. So right. to me, even if guys are not healthy, it shouldn't be the NFL's obligation to make sure that they get back because if it's a normal NFL schedule, if you can't, recuperate in a week you're going to miss the game so I mean I'm not in favor of giving them much more time so this way we maximize the ability for everybody to get back onto the field well it's not going to change so no I'm agreeing with you you certainly can, not going to change I'm yeah. just throwing it out there that in an ideal world I'd love to just play immediately after the conference championship games yeah and I think I'm trying to remember when the last time that happened. well they used to alternate they used to do two weeks off, one week off, two weeks off, one week off. They they did that for quite some time. Well, I know it was. I know they went back to one week for a little bit. Was it ever an every other year situation? I every other year, that, at least for a period of time. You might be right. I don't alternated. remember that though. Yeah, I mean, I don't exactly know how many years consecutively they did it, but they did used to alternate it, and then it got to the point where it's just automatic. And part of the rationale, John, was the fact that they feel because of the quick turnaround and these players and the demands and tickets and travel and getting the families there that they feel like they needed to give them an additional <laughs> week. It's too much to get done I get on it. top of learning the scheme and the, the tweaks and the changes that you want in terms of your game plan. So I get the logistical argument, but I, I really feel like there's no reason why, given the fact that they know it was going to be in Atlanta, they know that they could have laid it out with more than enough time. They could easily play the game as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. Um, one other piece of news today besides the game itself. Adam Schefter reporting today, and this should not be um, any surprise, that the competition committee is going to take a longer look this year at giving coaches the ability to challenge judgment calls. This is something Bill Belichick has brought up the last three or four years, wanting all calls be able to be challenged. But they want to put in a bit of a disincentive in there where if you challenge it and you're wrong, uh, you either get penalized or have other some other type of thing in there where if you're incorrect when you challenge, something bad happens to you or your team. So they're And they think they're doing that to try to keep the flow of the game up, and they don't want that to you know, slow the game down to the point where you have college football games that are taking four hours. Well, and the key thing here is you're right. There have been other teams <laughs> that have thrown a similar rule change out there. But remember, at the end of the day, the competition committee could put it forward. The 32 owners, the 32 teams still need to vote on it. So we're not necessarily even close to the point where this is going to be implemented. I mean, people could say, well, you know, they're irritated over what happened at the end of the Saints-Rams game and this and that. Correct. But the 32 owners, the majority, have to vote in favor of it. And what's happened a lot, John, not just with judgment calls, <laughs> but with any rule changes, they seem practical. And then, believe it or not, 
the majority of the 32 teams are not in favor of it. So, you know, this is just the beginning stages of maybe getting the competition committee to look at it. The CFL, the Canadian Football League, has already implemented something, but they only allow you one challenge. So that's their way of making coaches think twice before they want to waste their challenge on a borderline judgment call. So you got to think carefully before you just throw a flag like that. So I think this is the way of the NFL meeting in some degree what the CFL is doing. Well, I mean, I'm not sure if they're looking at the CFL for a solution. Well, but I think, I they think should, this is though. something Bill Belichick has suggested for four years. It's not because the CFL does it. Well, but the CFL, you can at least look at the CFL. They've done it for, they've had it in place for four to five years. You can see how it works, how it affects game flow, and so forth. I don't think that hurts at all. To well, at the least CFL just have one challenge it. or only one challenge for judgment calls? No, one challenge. And that incorporates judgment calls. So I don't see how would that then, I, I don't, to me, that's different. Well, they used to have the NFL rule where you have the two challenges and you get the third one if you uh, get both of them correct. And then because they were worried that too many challenges are going to be brought to the forefront, they changed it to one. So I'm not saying the NFL should do that. Personally, I'm not in favor of the review of judgment calls to begin in with. In the CFL, if you get the challenge right, do you get to do it again? No. I say that's stupid. Because, well, if, because the, if they screw up one, why should you get penalized if they screw up another? Well, I'm not saying that you should look at what exactly the CFL is doing. You could just look at how they go about reviewing it. They also make sure that you identify the player and the side of the field that it occurred as opposed to opening up Pandora's box for everything to be reviewed. So those types of specifics, I think, are important for the NFL to look at if they were ever going to get to the stage of implementing it. That I don't think there's anything wrong with. Nobody's saying they have to adopt the exact challenge right. policy, but you at least have a league that understands what it takes to look at it and not create an issue where, okay, you look at the review and then you see, oh, there was a holding call on the opposite side of the field. You shouldn't be able to do that. I mean, that to me would be absolutely ridiculous. Well, I think you would have to challenge one specific yeah, aspect exactly. of the play. Right? And that's what the CFL has in place. So I don't think there's anything wrong with the NFL reviewing that. But I'm totally fine with the NFL operating like it has always been. And the human element of the game being a part of it, if it's missed, it's missed, you move on. You know, there's got to be a point where you draw a line and realize, hey, everything can't be reviewed. And we've survived all along with the NFL not reviewing judgment calls. And now all of a sudden, one call towards the tail end of a conference championship game when, by the way, the Saints still had an opportunity to right the wrongs. Now all of a sudden should ignite judgment calls being reviewed. Well, I mean, I don't think it's one call, Lance. We've had calls like this throughout the year and throughout the years that people have had complaints about. It's not just one call that's doing it. But like I said, Bill Belichick has been suggesting this for four or five years. Well, and once again, they've never had enough support for it to get through. And I don't think there's any guarantee it'll get through this year either. I don't think that there is going to be enough support either. I don't think because of what happened in the Saints-Rams game alone is going to force the rest of the league to get to that point. I mean, it's possible the vote goes up slightly. I don't know what the result was when Belichick implemented it, but I don't think that there's an overwhelming majority across the league that favors this. And I would be completely fine with the league moving forward without reviewing judgment calls. I think it's a big Pandora's box. I think you have to really... Proceed with caution, which I think based on the the Adam Schefter report, that's kind of what they're thinking. Uh, Because I do think game flow is a problem. And the problem is you can't just say, well, we'll set it up so only the egregious calls get fixed. It doesn't work that way. Once you open the window, everything's going to fly through. And then pass interference by the book is tough enough to judge. But let's say in a particular game, they've been letting the guys play the whole game. They haven't been calling a lot of these plays. And then you challenge one at the end of the game, which is identical to plays that happened previously that hadn't been called, but by the book it might technically be a defensive holding or pass interference or whatever. 
Then you get gets called later in the game because they're a challenge when that, in effect, would be inconsistent with how the rest of the calls in that game had been called. So I agree. I think there are a lot of potential issues with that sort of thing. It's similar, and this is what bothers me in the NBA a lot, when they do the review in the final, what, two minutes, I think, with who the ball goes off. Half the time on these rebounds, the ball might go off a player, but the defensive player, maybe the offensive player goes over the back, whacks the guy trying to get the rebound in the head or in the arm. Yeah, the guy that gets whacked might touch the ball last, but the officials didn't call a foul, but they gave the ball to the to the right team. Yeah. And then you review it. Well, it went off the one guy's hand. You can't go back and retroactively call a foul, right? Correct. But, you, but then you penalize the team that got fouled, but there was no call because you can't review that. So there are a lot of unintended consequences when you talk about a lot of this stuff. Well, but similar to the NBA and the NFL, I don't want to just prioritize the final two minutes. See, a lot of people are saying, well, you should have judgment calls reviewed in the final two minutes. Well, wait a minute. There could be a huge swing of momentum sure. that happens in the third quarter. Absolutely. Why are we prioritizing the final two minutes? That I'm not in favor of. But yeah, you're right. You go back and you look at the replay, and sometimes you see a different angle, and you realize, well, there was something else we completely missed. So where do you draw the line? And also, to your point, the officials set the tone of the game. I remember when the Legion of Boom were flourishing in Seattle. Remember, one of the things that they used to do is they test the officials, John, and they would see, all right, if we get to seven yards removed from the line of scrimmage, can we still touch the guy? Yeah, correct. Right? Mm -hmm. And then they were like, all right, the officials are letting us have two more yards outside of the five. We'll, we'll try to get away with it. So if you are an officiating crew and you let that slide and then all of a sudden you allow the guy in the sky to look at it, he's not on the field officiating it. He then tells the officials it's pass interference, but he wasn't setting the tone from the get-go. So that's why I'm not in favor of opening up Pandora's box. Yeah, and look, I think there are problems with it, and I think I get it, and I'm always the one to side with the let's get the calls right crowd, and I think that's the most important thing. You want the calls to be right. And the same thing that bothers me with the way people say, oh, it's the final two minutes. You should swallow your whistle. You shouldn't blow the whistle on plays like uh, that. It's idiotic. If a penalty is a penalty, a foul is a foul. I don't care if it happens in the first quarter, the third quarter, or with one second to go in the game. If you're breaking a rule, a penalty should be called on you, okay? That's how it goes. So I think it's, it's a very, very precarious thing the NFL is going to have to figure out. Um, I don't like the way college operates where they basically review every play. That's how you get four, four-hour, 15-minute games like college has. I think that goes a little bit too far. I think in the NFL, too, you're limited to three challenges. I think if you keep getting your challenges right, you should have unlimited challenges. Because if they keep blowing calls and you keep getting it right, why should you get penalized for it? Uh, that's something I would change, too. But, yeah, look, I think it's a, it's, it's a very dangerous situation to allow teams to have reviews of judgment calls the way it is now. And I, I really think that will be a situation the way it ends up, Lance, where you're really going to have to go with the philosophy whatever gets called on the field stands unless it's abundantly clear and obvious if they go there. Like the Roby Coleman play, clear. But you had some plays in other playoff games where, oh, that was passing the Furies down the field. But the offensive player's pushing a little bit. The defensive player's hitting an arm a little bit. There's a little bit here or there where you're like, uh, you know, it looked like pass interference, but is it obvious? And that's where it gets tricky. What does clear mean? What does abundantly clear mean? And that's something that they're going to have to figure out. Well, the other thing to take into consideration here is when the officials are on the field, they're seeing things in real time, real speed. 
And yep. then these guys are running 4.2s, whatever. And then all of a sudden, the guy in the sky has the luxury of slow motion replay. And things look very differently, even penalties included, John, when you slow things down. The officials on the field do not have that luxury. That's another thing that would have to be taken into consideration if you ever wanted to go in the direction of having these judgment calls reviewed. So they'd have to figure out all of these logistics, not just one facet of this whole conversation. Yeah, and it's something that the competition committee will tackle when they have a chance to meet. I guess that happens around what is when are the, when are the owners meeting and stuff when the competition committee meets? That's a great question. March, April. I want to say it might be in March. Or maybe actually. there is one towards the tail end of February. Now that I think about it, well, that's the combine. But I feel as are if the only meeting before, before the, com- the combine is, is or there, after the combine. There may be a meeting before the. Combine. It's got to be before I, because free agency yeah. comes right afterwards. There's so a meeting before the combine. It's got to be before. Yeah. So it must be like the like the the, the, the second or third week Teams of February, of something February. like that. Yeah, something like that. By the way, Dave looked it up. The NFL has held Super Bowl one week after the conference championship game a total of seven times, including games between 2000 and 2003. The Giants also did it in Tampa when they played uh, in 1990 after they beat the Niners in the championship game that year. So it wasn't an every other year type deal, but they have done it periodically. And they, it happened because they changed when the NFL regular season began to the weekend ever Labor Day, which kind of pushed it up against when the Super Bowl normally was. So that's why they switched it to one week. But... That's where we are, and I'm, I'm, I don't think that's going to change. The NFL loves the hype machine. All right, let's go to our guest, Len in Columbia, Maryland. We'll get to you after Paul. I'm sorry I didn't get to you beforehand. I lied. And now we're joined by Paul Schwartz from the New York Post, who is down there in Atlanta enjoying the festivities at the Super Bowl. Paul, you got Lance and Schmelk up here. How's it going, buddy? Hey, guys, going good. I'm actually speaking from the media center I'm in um right by Radio Row now. So if you want me to get some uh, people more famous than me, let me um, – I can walk around and see who I can uh, um, go back to your guys' radio roots. Let me see. You want me to find somebody here? You want me to find uh, <laughs> somebody from uh, WEI in Boston or uh, FAN? Let me go around. We'll do a little uh, see. Uh, hmm. Matt, guys from Madden. Let's see. Who else? Uh, the Bridgestone. Cl- <laughs> Paul, Bridgestone what about can you get us no, Maroon I, 5? How about Maroon uh, 5? Oh, I, th- I thought this was like a uh, travel log I was doing here. No, no. <laughs> All right, Paul, first things first, and I, I want to get to your story last week about the Giants and, and kind of how they're looking at the quarterback situation. But first I want to ask you about how they've kind of changed the way they're doing the Super Bowl this year. No more media day uh, on Tuesday. They kind of changed it up a little bit. H- how has that changed the way things are kind of operating down there this year? Well, it, it went from bad to worse. <laughs> uh, um, you know, media day was a disaster, but at least it was a disaster that was during the day. Now the uh, the geniuses figured we can monetize this, so they made it something called, what, Super Bowl opening night, so they have it Monday night, you know, usually in the basketball or the hockey arena in the city, so it was where the Hawks play. Um, so, you know, it, it, there's, there's um, fans um, sitting in the stands. There's, there's like a TV show. It's a lot of loud uh, you know, so these things start at eight o'clock. I think the Patriots didn't come out till like nine thirty. Oh, so it's very, very difficult. And um, uh, the main thing, you know, people here like you know, they always say, "Well, you guys can, you know, complain all the time and this and that." But the big problem was I was standing about three feet away from Aaron Donald and asking him questions with a very, very good micro cassette recorder, fairly close to his mouth, and I could not pick up afterwards wow. what he said. Wow. He was so loud in there. So that. That's basically not conducive to doing your job. But, um, 
it's a TV show. It's not about me doing my job. So uh, that's what they want to do, and that's what it is. So, well, Paul, uh, on, on the bright side, o- only the best questions get asked in those settings. So you are going to get the best questions and the best answers, right? Well, it's the first time you get the players, so you get you know <laughs> you get you get a horoscope question. You get about the uh, three technique, and then you'll get something about <laughs> shout out to your hometown, and uh, then um, yes, you'll get you'll get a, a, a variety of questions and. Uh, they come fast and furious. There's some seven-year-old kids asking questions. Uh, at one point, um, Aaron Donald was wearing a sombrero. <laughs> not quite, not quite sure why he was. I didn't get the gist of that, uh, of why he was in that particular hat wear. But um, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a tough night. But you know, you can get stuff done. Like, like that was the night that, um, off to the side, the Saints cornerback who committed the penalty, uh, Roby Coleman. Yep. Uh, you know, spoke really for the first time after the game, and he was really, um, you know, grilled about that and also grilled about some comments he made about calling Tom Brady old. So that was kind of a newsy story, which you were able to get there. You know, people who were around him and found him, and I did find him, were able to get him. So, you know, it served a purpose, but it's a, it's a rough way to start the week, I'll tell you that much. Well, the other thing that has been noticeable out of Atlanta is the weather factor and how yeah. that may come into play, Paul. I mean, what's it been like down there, and how much do you think that could very well impact the festivities moving forward? Well, I mean, look, it's, it's, it's the, the polar vortex has hit here, but you know, people listening in New York and New Jersey, you know, my son goes to school in Wisconsin where it's like minus 25. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it, it, you know, this is not quite, you know, it's not Chicago where the, uh, the rivers are frozen up and they're, you know, bur- burning the, uh, the ra- uh, railroad tracks so that they don't freeze over. Uh, but it was cold. I mean, uh, I walked back about a mile yesterday and it was probably 25 degrees and probably 20 mile an hour winds. I mean, it was cold. I think this morning the wind chill here was 17. So, um, you know, that, but, but by Friday it's going to be about 60. So this is like a two- or three-day period where I put it this way, okay? It was supposed to snow an inch or two on Tuesday, yesterday. And so Monday they canceled all the schools. Uh, they, they canceled the high schools. They canceled Emory University. All classes were, were, were closed, and it did not snow at all. It rained. It rained, and it did not get, um, you know, above freezing. Uh, so, um it was you got get below freezing, so there was it would rain. It, 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 if you were in New York or New Jersey, it was basically like, oh, it's raining this morning, and all the schools were closed. So uh, you know they panicked a little bit here, but it is cold, but yeah. it won't be cold for long. And uh, it's supposed to be about sixty and maybe a little bit of rainy on Sunday when the game is played in the dome. So obviously that's no effect on anything. You know, Paul, I don't understand why the city didn't take advantage of everyone that was traveling in from New England, from New York. That of all this experience dealing with snow, they could have hired you guys on Tuesday with not a lot going on to plow, to shovel, and the city could have stayed open. <laughs> well, I, I think uh, my Uber driver said something like, well, they do kind of panic here because they have five snow plows for the whole city. So, you know, they, they, <laughs> that would be an issue. And he was, I think he was serious. He said, we do have to, you know, take that into account. And I said, oh, yeah, I mean, they... Look, if you can't deal with two inches of snow, then you should close everything, right? Absolutely. All right, Paul, uh, let, uh, let's get to your story last week. I saw you out at the Senior Bowl, um, and then you came back, and you seemed to have a pretty good idea of how the Giants were going to move forward here, specifically with the quarterback position. Why don't you summarize for the fans out there what you kind of gleaned as to what the Giants' plans are going to be moving forward with, uh, with Eli Manning and everything else the Giants are going to try to figure out this offseason. Well, it looks like Eli Manning is not going anywhere. Um, you know, he'll be back as the quarterback in 2019. Um, 
you know, that's, I think, the way it was sort of headed with what uh, some of Pat Shermer's comments. You know, Dave Gettleman very much took a wait-and-see approach, uh, wanted to really study, uh, look at the film, look at, uh, you know, every play that Eli had during the season and kind of, like, take a step back and say, you know, can the guy still play? So I think the Giants believe he can still play. Um, I do believe they think he needs more help than he, you know, has needed earlier in his career. Uh, that's offensive line, that's Saquon Barkley, that's the receivers, that's, you know, kind of relying on a on a, um, a play-action passing game more so now. You know, the things that we saw the last half of last season. And sure. so, um, but, but the Giants are also very, very, very adamant about, look, for the first time ever, we have to address uh, who replaces Eli. And, um, you know, they'd like that to come in the draft. Now, this is not a great draft for quarterbacks, and I believe the Giants agree with that, that it's not a great draft for quarterbacks. So, they're not going to just take one, either at six or in the second round or whatever they do to move up or down. They're not going to just say, we have to take a quarterback, we'll take one. If they like one, um, I think I think the only guy that would be uh, possibly worthy of a, the number six pick is Dwayne Haskins of Ohio State, and he's a guy the Giants will really study and look at. You know, the guy's a one-year wonder, right? He's only played one year of college football, you know, at a starting level and had a, you know, 50 touchdown passes in the Big Ten. So he's got a, a big resume. In a, in a short resume. And, uh, you know, so the Giants will look at that, look at the other options. And, uh, you know, if they can find someone this year to they can look at and say, we think this guy can succeed Eli Manning, you know, at some point, probably as early as 2020, then they'll make that move. If not, then they'll just have to wait because I don't think free agency is, is what the Giants are looking at right now for quarterback. We're talking with Paul Schwartz, who covers the Giants for the New York Post here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. One of the interesting comparisons that you made, Paul, in your article was what Kansas City did, and I think it's relevant. They had Alex Smith. Patrick Mahomes started the 2017 regular season finale after they moved up in the first round, and then they ultimately handed him the reins. How closely do you think the Giants looked at what developed in Kansas City as a potential model for ultimately what they want to do? Well, look, it's, 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 it's looking back at it, it's the perfect model. Um, now, now, you know, when, when, when you make that comparison, when I made that comparison, you know, every, well, yeah, yeah, sure. If you can get me the next Patrick Mahomes, yeah, that's fine. Of so course. I, the Giants don't think there's a Patrick Mahomes in this draft, but, um, you know, the, the, the whole feeling that you have to draft a guy and he has to start right away. Look, the Jets did that with Sam Darnold, and, and that was fine. Uh, you know, the Cardinals did not do that with Josh Rosen. The Bills did not do that with um, Josh Allen. But those guys played you know, soon in, into their rookie years. So there are a lot of different ways to do it. The Giants certainly know Eli Manning uh, sat for nine games behind Kurt Warner, and then, you know, they finally said, okay, we have to, you know, have our rookie play at some point. So they put him in, um, you know, and then proceeded to lose six straight games. So, you know, they know uh, the, the, the pitfalls of starting a rookie quarterback. But that is, uh, you know, that is the perfect scenario. But just as I said, there's no Patrick Mahomes in this draft, and Alex Smith, who was a, a solid veteran quarterback, is not Eli Manning. You know, he just did not win two Super Bowls or any Super Bowls. Uh, you know, he is not uh, did not spend his whole career in Kansas City. So, right. um, you know, pushing Alex Smith aside was uh, not nearly the emotional, sentimental strain that it will be for Eli Manning. But I think this is the first year that there's a realization that, look, he's not what he was. We still think he can function. We'd like this to be a classy transition, but we need to make this transition if we can, if we can find a guy who we think is worthy of that. I guess then my follow-up question, Paul, if they finish their evaluation, and this is a big if, I don't, I don't think they've given Haskins a long enough look yet because he wasn't a senior, he only declared in the middle of January. Um, if they decide no one's worthy for that six pick, 
and they get to round two, and let's say the two guys they think are worthy of the second round pick got picked late in the first round. You know, the Daniel Jones, the Drew Locke, whoever else you're talking about, which is very possible. That could happen. Quarterbacks get overdrafted, right? Uh, would they then be okay? And, and would they go about trying to maybe gather a lot of assets for the 2020 draft? So that if they have to, because I think the Giants believe they'll be better in 2019, they won't be picking six. They'll be picking hopefully in the teens or the early 20s if everything goes the way they want it to. Would they try to try to gather some assets then so when they get to 2020, they have enough ammunition to make a move to get a quarterback that they think could be the next franchise guy? Well, um, we all know, um, you know, Tua will be there. Um, from from Georgia, you know, they'll they'll be they'll be bigger names and, and probably a, a, a bet Herbert, right? A yep. better quarterback yep. class in twenty twenty. But look, I mean, we're seeing the difficulty of the Knicks trying to tank to get a player. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know I mean, you know, you know, I mean, they're doing a great job of losing, <laughs> but you know, they have what a fourteen percent chance to get the first pick. Yep. So you know, uh, the NFL is obviously different. But look. Guy, unless things go haywire in you know Oregon and Alabama and Georgia, you know those quarterbacks are going to be, you know, in the top five picks. The three of the guys will be taken, and yep. so you know you're going to be either a terrible team again in 2019 if you're the Giants, or as you said, you're going to have so many assets. But still, to go from 18 or 19 up to one or two is very difficult. You have to give up the farm, and so you know, yeah. that, that that's the conundrum is that. If they don't like anybody in this draft tremendously at quarterback, then what are you saying? You're saying we're going to have Eli Manning and Alex Tanney and, and Kyle Oletta? No, I don't think they, that will be the trio. But um, it's not easy just to find a guy. You know, will they sign some middling, some middling younger veteran? Um, I don't think Teddy Bridgewater would be an option. You know, I, I think um, you know his, his knee is just probably not sound enough. The, the Giants thinking, uh, you know, so so that's the conundrum. I mean, you know, it, it, it's like. If you need a date to the dance, uh, you know, do you do you look for the love of your life, or do you just ask, you know, uh, the neighbor uh, across the street, you know, <laughs> yeah. who you're friends with, but you really rather not dance with her? I mean, it, it, it's a tough one because yeah. look, you you make a big mistake if you draft if you just say, look, we have Dwayne Haskins as the 16th best prospect in this draft, but we have to take him. We have to take him at six because we need a quarterback. Um, what I don't think the Giants will do is, you know, I hear people saying, well, you may have to go up to one if you want Haskins. I mean, I think that's at this point in, in the evaluation process is, is, is crazy because uh, he's just not that kind of a prospect that you would give up you know, multiple draft picks, maybe a first-round pick next year, to move up four or five spots to get a quarterback who started one year and is not considered you know, a, a big-time prospect. He's considered a solid prospect. So, look, there's a lot between now and the end of April when they draft. It's, it's a lot, but uh, they would like to find that guy who's next in line. But it's not easy. It's admittedly not easy. Well, and to your point, Paul, also stocks are going to rise and fall for all of these quarterbacks as we move to the combine and even after that leading up to the draft. Who would have thought Baker Mayfield, for example, would have been taken with the number one overall pick last year? And that brings me to another quarterback, aside from Dwayne Haskins, who is small in stature, similar to Baker Mayfield, though smaller. Lance and that's loves Kyler him. Murray. Lance loves him. <laughs> from uh, Oklahoma, Paul. And, uh, yes, whenever we get an opportunity for small jokes, we'll never turn them down on this program. But getting back to the point, Paul, you know, Murray is somebody that I think is intriguing within college circles in the conversation with respect to, obviously, the Heisman Trophy. Personally, I don't think he falls in line with the prototypical Giants quarterback who is like an Eli Manning, 6'3", 6'4". But is it possible that they perhaps could entertain the idea of looking at somebody that's not necessarily in line with where they've gone in the quarterback department in previous years? 
In where? The third round? Well, no, in, in terms of just <laughs> a, a smaller quarterback well, who, who uh, doesn't necessarily I, I, have giant quarterback written all over him, I guess is my point. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, Tua is how big? 6'1", something? Two in that six, department, two, yeah. Yeah, you know, um, so he's a smaller quarterback than the Giants have had. But, um, you know, the, the thing is, it's almost become, um, you know, it, it, it's, like, it's like you can't say it. I mean, I think Kyler Murray is simply too small. I just think he's too small. And when you say that, it's almost like you are damning the guy or, you know, making a slur at him that's unfair. You know, I'm sure this guy, you know, has heard his whole life, you're too small, you're too small, you're too small. I mean, he's yeah. a small high school quarterback. He was a very small college quarterback. He'd be a tiny NFL quarterback. And, and you name me the quarterback at his size who has been a good player. I mean, he is not Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield... I wouldn't say towers over Kyler Murray. Baker Mayfield is every bit of six feet. Oh yeah, Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray is 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 going to be five nine and change at the most, at the most. I mean, and he, he's he's built more slight than Baker Mayfield. Uh, it's it's just a different thing. And so you know, Doug Flutie was five ten, and was a tremendous player, mostly in the CFL, right? And had a few moments in the NFL, but was not a NFL franchise quarterback. And you know, I'm not sure Kyler Murray's as good as. Uh, Doug Flutie. Doug Flutie was terrific. So, uh, in a different era, admittedly. So, um, I just don't think Colin Murray is a fit for the Giants. Now, I, I think Colin Murray is intriguing for a team that has a quarterback. And if you want to do a, you know, Taysom Hill kind of thing, you know, he's a big guy with a small guy like Murray. And, um, you know, imagine having him, let's say, on the Patriots, okay, or on a team that has an established big statuesque not very mobile quarterback. And then all of a sudden on the five-yard line, on second down, you run Kyler Murray on maybe with the big quarterback or not. Now teams still going to go haywire. You're going to pitch it to him. You can throw it. You can option. He can do a lot of things. Now that puts a lot of strain on your coaching staff to, to, to coach a whole different, you know, put in a whole different system. But I think that's where maybe Kyler Murray could be interesting in the NFL. But that's not somebody you draft in the first round. And, uh, you know, after the first round, uh, he won't make $4.6 million guaranteed like he will in baseball. And and that's another thing is yeah. that, um, you know, after the first round, Colin Murray is probably going to go play baseball. So, uh, you know, financials yep. come into this certainly. So there's a lot there with Colin Murray, but I don't think any of it fits with the Giants. Joined by Paul Schwartz in the New York Post. A couple more questions for him, Paul. I want to jump off the quarterback bandwagon for a second. How active do you think the Giants are going to be in free agency this year from looking outside of the organization, not talking about, you know, re-signing Landon Collins and things like that? Do you think they'll try to get a big high price player, or are they going to try to, you know, maybe not sharpen the bargain aisle, but go for more middle-of-the-road, reasonably priced players to try to fill out their roster rather than making that big splash? Well, I think I think if it's if it's a high priced guy, it will be a pass rusher, and those guys are so high priced. Yeah, you know, D, D Ford. I mean, these guys are so high priced that they will. I mean, I think the only way you can do that is if you get, if you part ways with Olivier Vernon, um, you know, to, to to ease some of that cap, or part ways with Eli Manning, which I don't think they're doing. So, um, and, and you know, the whole thing with Vernon, you know, he's their best pass rusher. I mean, there's just no question about it. Now, whether he's good enough to command that money. It's certainly a, a question, and the answer is probably no. But um, if you get rid of him, now you have to replace him and add one or two more pass rushers. Yeah. So yeah. it might just make sense to keep him. And, and, you know, look, this is what happens in free agency. Two years ago, they, they basically tried to buy a defense, and it worked for one year, and they overpaid for three players. One of them is no longer on the team. It's Max Harrison. 
And the other two have had their moments and um, are generally considered overpaid. Uh, that's what free agency does. When you shop at the highest levels, you overpay. Um, you know, someone once told me, every player who's a free agent gets on the open market for a reason. Uh, and, you know, only some of those reasons are because your own team can't afford you. Uh, most teams that love, love, love their own homegrown player find a way to keep them, don't they? They, 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 they sign them early. They find a way to keep them. And there's a sure. reason why these guys hit the open market. So you have to be careful. You really have to be careful. So I, I think the Giants will add a bunch of free agents, but I don't know if any of them will be a, a quote-unquote big-ticket guy. They need depth on their roster. They need to, to keep on building the culture with good guys, solid guys, uh, guys who can be potential starters and and um, things like that. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, they don't have a ton of money, but they have enough money. They'll have a middle-range you know middle range amount of money. And um, as we've seen, this is a rebuilding team. You know, they, 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 they completely overhauled the roster last year, and uh, they finished 5-11, and 11, so they're not done by any stretch. And you're right, Paul. Most players are given the franchise tag or some other tag or given extensions before they even hit free agency. You don't necessarily see yes. those impactful yep. guys, you're right, reach the market where all of a sudden you can steal them away. Now, you brought up pass rusher, and I think most would agree that certainly is a priority in free agency. Though, if we put that position aside, Paul, when you look at somebody to play next to Landon Collins, assuming Landon Collins comes back at the other safety position, and the right side of the offensive line, considering they did bring in Jamon Brown, but you got Chad Wheeler at right tackle. What to you is the bigger priority for them to address, whether it be free agency or the draft, the other safety position or the right side of the offensive line? Yes, everything. <laughs> they need it all. Well, well, well look, the best way to get a pass rusher is to draft them. It's all there is yep. to it. Because if they're on the open market, they, they're, they're stars and they make big money. Or you're overpaying for a guy. Or you're, you're you know, it's a wing and a prayer like the Giants did with Connor Barwood. Uh, you know, a solid NFL veteran who has had some success as a pass rusher and just, you know, really had no success once he came to the Giants. You're hoping he can, you know, have a little, have a little something left in the tank. So the best thing to do is to take one at number six if he's there. You know, if you don't go quarterback, you know, this is a good uh, draft for pass rushers. Uh, if the Giants aren't taking a quarterback, they hope someone trades up ahead of them to take a quarterback. So, you know, you drop one of those pass rushers down uh, because that's the best way. That's the way you get Michael Strahan and the way you get Osaka Manura and the way you get Matthias Kimanuka and Jason Pierre-Paul. And Justin Tuck. In the first round, or, and Justin Tuck. Yes, Justin Tuck even lower, third round. So, you know, if you can identify those guys, they, 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 they after the first round they work cheap, even in the first round. Uh, it, you know, it, it, it's a bargain compared to what you have to pay for those guys in the open market. So I think that's number one. I mean, uh, 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 I know for a fact the Giants are not done addressing the offensive line and specifically the right side of the line. They know they need to upgrade there, and I think they're really looking at a right tackle because I think they can uh, maybe sign Jamon Brown to, uh, back to play right guard, but they're not going to give him the earth, wind, and, and the moon. That's all there is to it. He was an upgrade for them, but um, you know I think Jamon Brown has to be a fourth or best offensive lineman, and then you're, you're building a line. So... You know, I don't no. think they want to go into next season with Chad Wheeler as a starting right tackle. Um, you know, can you find one in the second round? Can you uh, maybe find one in the first round if you don't go pass rusher? Uh, can you sign a guy who's uh, a solid player uh, on the way up? You know, I mean, kind of, you know, they, they swung and missed badly with Patrick Omame. So, you know, maybe they have to they have to swing and, and connect this time with, you know, a younger veteran maybe who can move in a right tackle. Look, I mean, when you, you you draft one guy, it only solves one problem potentially, and not five. When you're five and eleven, you have a lot of problems. So you have to methodically try to get better piece by piece because 
Uh, if, you know, if I tell you pass rusher is the number one, you may tell me free safety is, is the number one. And, and Lance may say, um, no, it's got to be at uh, right tackle. And, you know, I think we're all right. Yeah. Absolutely. Paul, final one for me, and I'll swing it back to the Super Bowl. I think we covered most of the big giant topics for the offseason. Uh, just your feel for kind of, you know, how these two teams are dealing with the week. It's the first time for a lot of the people from the Rams, the Patriots. This is obviously just a, uh, another year, another Super Bowl, whatever. No worries. Uh, you, you've, been, you've been to a ton of these games. What's your feel for how these two teams are handling this experience uh, over the course of this week so far early on? The Patriots handle it the way they always handle it, which is, as you said, it's a, it, this is a business trip. They, they expect to be here. They, they know every inch of every, of every layout of everything. They know what the week is about. You know, Bill Belichick will give you what he gives you. You know, Tom Brady actually is pretty good in these venues. You know, he has some fun with it. I think he tires out as the week goes on because, you know, he starts gearing up for the game. But, you know, he, he's good in these settings. He's, he's kind of open. He has some fun with it. He talks about his background. He, you know, and entertain some off-the-wall questions at times. You know, Bill Belichick does not. Um, he just basically, it's amazing, in, in a room full of people, when somebody asks him a question um, uh, that he doesn't like, he just literally doesn't answer, you know, just ignores them. I think some guy yesterday uh, uh, said, uh, Coach, can I come up and take a selfie with you? You know, you know that, that's what you get here at the Super Bowl sometimes. And, and Belichick didn't even say yes or no. He just kind of like stared into space until the guy was like shamed into not doing anything you know i mean he, he wasn't funny or it wasn't sad it was just intelligent um you know very very has a its own knack now uh conversely uh sean mcveigh seems to really be doing well here he speaks quickly he's interesting you know he's just turned 33 uh you know it, it's just you know he's very youthful you know he's a good looking guy he gets behind that podium and um you know speaks well about a lot of different subjects very expansive about his players, about his culture. Um, you know, doesn't try to um, you know beat his chest too much about him getting here. You know, pays great uh, homage to guys like Bill Walsh and Mike Shanahan, and um, you know the people, the Gruden family. You know, who've all been very uh, his grandfather. You know, uh, um, John McVay's grandfather obviously was a big time executive with the 49ers. Uh, so you know, there's there's a lot there with him, and I think the players. Uh, Jared Goff is very a little got a little bit of Eli in him. Uh, kind of bland up there, you know, says things simply, matter-of-factly, very unflustered, uh, um, you know, doesn't seem to enjoy it, but uh, God, it doesn't look like he's going to sweat a whole lot, you know, so that, you know, he's a full customer on the game, and he also is in these settings, too, and, uh, um, you know, so I think the Rams are okay, but, you know, they're first-timers, and, uh, you know, first-timers often do not fare well on uh, the Sundays of the games. We're talking with Paul Schwartz, who covers the Giants of the New York Post. Last one for me, Paul, I think overshadowing Super Bowl 53 is, of course, still the overreaction to the ending of the Saints-Rams game and whether or not the league is going to review judgment calls moving forward. So everybody obviously is anticipating Roger Goodell's press conference. What type of information do you think Goodell is going to provide, considering the league has yet to formally address the ending of the Saints-Rams game? And how likely do you think that the league will vote in favor of reviewing judgment calls moving forward? Well, um, I, you know, I don't know the answer to those questions. Um, you know, Roger Goodell could have, could have certainly eased off some of this uh, anticipation of today's press conference by issuing a statement on Monday or Tuesday like the like league should have. You know, you just issue a statement uh, saying that you made a mistake, saying moving on. Uh, you know, I mean, I could have written that statement in five minutes, and it would have been a solid statement. Uh, you know, that, that, that we made a mistake. We have to, um, you know, the integrity of our game is the most important thing we have. If we lose that, we don't have a game. We want to assure the fans that, 
we'll do everything I can can to make sure this does not happen again. You know, and we will review all options to see the best way to move forward with this. And uh, you know, we hope to have a great Super Bowl. I mean, it's not a hard statement to make, but the league for some reason chose not to make it. So now it's all on Roger Goodell. Um, I think it's very difficult to say they're going to institute a policy where you can challenge non-calls. I mean, the thing is, people, this don't forget, this was a non-call. Yeah. This, this was not a call that needed to be rehearsed. This was a call that was not made. So point. if you open up this Pandora's box and say, now any coach at any point in a play can, can put a challenge flag or somebody can buzz down to New York and say, we want you to check out this play. For what? For We think our, left, uh, we think our uh, defensive end was held by the, by the left tackle. Are you going to be able to challenge that? It was a blatant hole. They didn't call it. I mean, that's not more egregious than what happened in, in New Orleans. Or, you know, a guy's running down the field. Well, Odell, um, Odell, Odell got grabbed at the 17-yard line. Uh, you didn't call it, so we want you to look at that. These are calls not made. So I, I don't know if that's going to ever be the case. Now, um, you know, it, it, it was a very, very, very bad non-call. I believe it. You know, sometimes it, it that plays a factor in the game. I think this decided the game. I think the Saints would have uh, ran the ball three times and kicked the field goal and won the game, and they would be in the Super Bowl here. And that did not happen. So, um you know, some of this is human error. Uh, that was a really bad one, uh, area of omission by two officials who should have thrown the flag. So I don't know. I think it's a slippery slope when you start saying, um, we're going to make sure this never happens again and anybody can challenge anything. You know, that's going to be rough. What's your final score for the game, Paul? Who do you got? You know, I'm, I haven't even fi- – I knew you guys were going to ask me. I'm going to pick the Patriots to win. Um, um, I'm going to pick them to win a close game. Um uh, I give you one right now. I would say something like thirty-one twenty-seven. Uh, the Patriots never blow out anybody in the Super Bowl, yeah, right? I mean, just true. ever. I mean, it's an incredible yeah. uh, legacy of, of, of you know they, they could have easily, the Bears? Uh, not easily, but they could have beaten the Giants twice, and they did not. Blame I'm blame. not saying they should have, but they could have. They certainly oh. should have lost to the Seattle um, Seahawks, and they really should have lost to the Falcons, who just self uh, self destroyed. So uh, you know uh, they, they are right on the edge of every Super Bowl they play. It's really uncanny for a franchise that is so dominant to just not dominate the Super Bowls, but, you know, win certainly, uh, you know, more than their fair share. Paul, good stuff. Enjoy Atlanta. Will you be there for the game, or are you coming home before the game gets played? No, no, no. I don't come home until the, the, the Lombardi trophy is for And I will be here. And it can't be done without Paul Schwartz there. Paul, we appreciate it, man. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll talk to you down the road, all right? And we'll see you at the combine. Right, Thanks, guys. Paul. Thank you. Take yep. care. Later. Paul Schwartz in the New York Post. Very good information from the Super Bowl. And talking about the Giants with the quarterback situation, and it's funny. Um, Curly Paul got information from somewhere. Obviously, we don't ask about sources, things like that. Um, but amazingly enough, and I can guarantee you that when we talk about this stuff, nobody's telling us what to say. But pretty much what he said about how they approach the quarterback situation is what we've been saying on the show for the better part of a month and a half. Or two, three months for that matter. And I don't think it takes a rocket scientist also to figure that one no, out No, it well. doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. In terms of them exploring their options, but at the same time weighing what Eli Manning can do with this offense and with help around him versus going after a free agent that may not really provide that much of a difference. And, I mean, these are all practical things that any team is going to do. And, you know, the other thing that Paul mentioned is just because they want to find Eli Manning's successor, John, doesn't mean that they're automatically going to find it in the draft or reach for a quarterback with a top 10 pick, too. And also need to keep that in consideration. What was the conversation we had in 2017 in the offseason? It's not easy to find your next quarterback. So when you have the opportunity to do it, 
you have to think long and hard about passing up that opportunity because you never know when it's going to come around again. But you also have to have faith in that quarterback. I'm with you. Of course. You're not guaranteed to pick six, seven, whatever. But at the same time, you, you don't just say to yourself, well, we need a quarterback. We need to find the successor. We're picking high. So let's just take the quarterback. And then the number one rated quarterback in that year's class is nothing compared to the group that just came out last year, potentially. I'm just speculating here. I'm not saying that that's true. So if if that's a hypothetical situation, then you're basically getting the sixth or the seventh best quarterback from the previous year's class. Does that put you in any better position, John, to have your quarterback for the future? Which is why it's so hard to find your next quarterback. Yeah, Those guys aren't always available. There aren't three or four guys that are going to come out in every draft class. You can go two or three years where you get no real good quarterbacks coming out. I mean, it's just the way it goes. And then if you love a guy... Well, what happens if the team that's picking first overall also wants that guy? There's no way for you to go and get him. It's literally impossible. Like, we talked about it. When the Colts are picking one and Peyton Manning was available, or Andrew Luck for that matter, you could have offered them anything in the world, literally anything in the world, you would not have been able to pry that draft pick out of their fingers. No chance. So there's no guarantee you're going to be able to go up and get that guy that you want. Well, and here's another example. There was the year where Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota were picked one and two, and I would say I think the jury the jury is still out. Oh, and I don't think has either guy made a Pro Bowl. I don't think so, right? Or may, or maybe they have after three guys drop out. Yeah, whatever. I don't know if the top of my head but, it's possible, but right. you know I think both of those teams are still sort of assessing where they're at. Mariota's dealt with injuries. Uh, Winston now with Bruce Arians on board. We'll see if he can turn the corner, but. You know, so there's an example where, okay, at the time, everybody thought, hey, they're making the right choice. And I'm not saying that it was a dreadful choice, but that doesn't mean that the Bucks and Tennessee are in any better position in terms of solidifying the quarterback position. So just because you take the quarterback, there's nothing that's guaranteed in the NFL draft. I will tell you that. And I'll say it again. The 2011 NFL draft was one of the best drafts, I think, in the history of the league. And you would... Von Miller, Marshall Darius, A.J. Green, Patrick Peterson, Julio Jones, Tyron Smith, J.J. Watt, uh, Mike Pouncey, Ryan Kerrigan, Nate Solder. I mean, look at these guys that are just really good players in the NFL, okay? Mixed amongst that group is Jake Locker, Blaine Gabbard, and Christian Ponder in the top 12 picks. There you go. And those three being behind Cam, yeah. who was the first one. So after Cam, clearly... And it again, was a tremendous drop off. You were not getting that pick from the Panthers, even if you wanted Cam. They were not going to give you that pick under any circumstances. That they were just not going to do it. Yeah. And you can't just say, "All right, well, let's just pick." And I've seen a lot of fans say, "Oh, well, you know, Haskins is the best guy. He's there at six. You got to make sure you get him, right?" No. If you don't think he's the guy, and I've watched two games of his, by the way, on Friday I'll have my full report with Jeff Eagles. That's a tease. What you call in the business? Um, but. If you don't think he's the guy, you do not pick him at six. You do not trade up to get him. And my initial reaction from watching two games, both games supposed to be two of his better games, he's not as good as the guys at the top of last year's class. But again, I have a lot more to watch. I'm not close to being done. But that's my initial reaction. Well, and my reaction from since watching him, I don't think he's better than Baker. And I wouldn't even necessarily put him ahead Sam Darnold. Do I think that he still would crack probably the top five of last year's class? I don't think that's necessarily a stretch. I think that's fair. But I, once again, I, I think if you're picking a quarterback, and you know most 
executives can share these stories. You go around the room, you ask your scouts, you ask, you know, your VPs and so forth. And if in last year's class, everybody had a different quarterback, one guy wanted Sam, one guy wanted Baker, then I think you got to think twice about whether or not you should truly take a quarterback. Yeah, you, you want a consensus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, it's now this year, maybe it's a little bit different because you don't have the same amount of substance. But if you go around the room and it's an offensive lineman, a defensive lineman, and Dwayne Haskins, and the answers are across the board, and there's very few people that are on board with Dwayne Haskins. And once again, my same answer would be like last year, that I don't think you should go in the direction of picking Dwayne Haskins. Yeah, what happens if, and I don't know what happened last year, what happens if last year the front office liked one quarterback, the coaching staff wanted a different quarterback, and they're like, oh boy. And everyone had Saquon Barkley rated higher than all the quarterbacks. Then you're going to go pick a quarterback? Yeah. Or what are you going to do? You're going to flip a coin to determine who gets the edge in terms of the quarterback debate? I, I don't think that's, once again, yeah. very good logic. So you go with the player that everybody agrees is going to be an impactful player, has the opportunity to be a Hall of Famer, and you're all on board. So that even if you look back and it doesn't work out, you can say, hey, we did our homework. That was the consensus agreement. And Winston made the Pro Bowl in 2015. He replaced Tom Brady. Oh, was that not an AFC-NFC split that no, year? No, they that used to pick yeah, uh, right, teams, yeah, remember? Yeah, split up the yeah, rosters, right. and then they came back to their So that he, Brady was probably like the sixth quarterback to try. <laughs> That's why, by the way, folks, when you go do look at Hall of Fame credentials, don't look at Pro Bowl elections. They're, at this point, almost irrelevant. All pro, all pro, yeah. Is a different story. All right, we got two calls. We want to get them in. It's brought to you by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. Len in Columbia, Maryland, has been holding since the start of the show. We appreciate it, Len. Sorry I didn't get to you sooner. Good morning. Oh, that's okay, uh, John. Uh, Schwartz has been around a long time. He knows a lot about the Giants. And yes, sir. It, it's, a, it's always a, you know, always a good listen. And uh, the one thing that he didn't say that pleased me, he didn't, he didn't talk about Eli mentoring for a year. Before the other guy uh, well, Len, I, I, want to, I want to pause you, Len. I want to pause you. He did write that in his article, and he gave that as an example where if they do draft a guy like Haskins, similar to Lance mentioned this to the, what the Chiefs did with Mahomes, that there could be a situation where Eli does mentor someone if they do draft somebody this year in the draft. So I think that would be on the table according to Paul. Oh, man. I, I, Sorry. That just, that just drives <laughs> me crazy. What, what is Eli going to mentor? I mean, what does he teach Haskins? Um, well, no, Len, I, I think he would teach him how to watch film. I think when he's in a meeting room with him, he'd teach him how to look at film, how to break down defenses, how to properly prepare for an NFL football game. This isn't a situation where he'll, like, you know, put on his little professor hat and, you know, go to blackboard. But just from watching how Eli operates, who's one of the best prepared quarterbacks and smartest quarterbacks in the league, I think oh, whatever absolutely. young quarterbacks I mean, around him no could learn a lot. No yeah, it's not, Len, it's not so much mentoring. It's more of that you have a veteran quarterback around a young quarterback Correct. to learn by example. You know, the word mentoring is constantly thrown out. It, it's not like Eli's going to be looking over his shoulder and holding the guy by his hand and saying, okay, <laughs> do this, do that. It's just, it's just, it's like anything else. It's if absorption. You if you're there a you young, if you you're a young hey, player, to, uh, you want to see you had, a, you, it, you had a little review of the centers at the um, he was done with you. at the yeah, senior well, bowl, and I, I do so. appreciate you doing that, John. Yeah, no problem. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I take it from what you said. I did. I, I did hear it, and um, you you think the kid from North Carolina State might not that he's going to be the sure the sure bet at at pick thirty seven, um, you know, thirty seventh pick of the draft. But do you think he's there at thirty seven, John? Oh, you mean Bradbury? 
The center? Yeah. 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 Um, I, th- I think there's a good chance he's there at 37. I'm not sure if there's a center that's good enough to be a first-round pick this year. And usually, Len, frankly, centers don't get picked in the first round very often. Last year yeah, was, yeah, was, yeah. was, was yeah, an right, exception. Right, right, right. Yeah, no. Uh, you know, absolutely. I, I was just wondering whether he, you thought he might be there at 37. And I take it the kid from Mississippi State, Jenkins, you, you don't think he's even a second-round pick. Um, I don't have enough information on him yet. Okay. I, I, I thought he played well at the senior role, but I, I don't feel comfortable putting a round on him right now. Okay, okay. Um, I'm rooting for the Rams on Sunday, but I, you know, for a couple of reasons. But I, I think, I think the Patriots are going to win. I think your discussion with Paul regarding experience is um, is going to turn out to be very important. Uh, I mean, those guys just know how to handle the big stage. And I, not that the Rams don't. I'm just thinking first time around, uh, you know, they may be wide-eyed and uh, not qu- not quite ready for what the big stage brings. Yeah, but, we'll see. Um, I'm, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to the game. Um, and, I, you know, I'd like to see the Rams win. Um, Lance, you, you have been a big proponent um, over the last year and a half, I guess, on the Eli talk, on, on the successor to Eli, as reminding everybody, and I think you're right on this, that Eli's successor doesn't necessarily have to come from the draft. I mean, it may come, of course, the, you know, the trade route, or it may come free agency. Uh, yeah, for free agency and so forth. I'm going to throw out a couple of names to you, some guys who hung around NFL rosters this year who I think have some potential to be really good quarterbacks in the NFL. One is on the Patriots. He didn't make the roster. He didn't make the 53. He's on their practice squad. We saw him last preseason game of the year, um, last year, Patriots-Giants at Giant Stadium. A guy named Danny Etling. He was their seventh-round Yeah, he ran for that big touchdown in the preseason game. Lance, seriously? And he's, um, he's got some potential. And there's what? a guy hanging around the Vikings roster, Kyle Stoller. Uh, he did make their roster. He did make their 53. He's a, actually a second-year player, undrafted free agent by Denver the year before. But those two guys, to me, have had a, a have shown enough in preseasons that. Man, I I keep my eye open if there was an opportunity to pick one of those two guys. Well, up. Len, the the Giants could have picked up Bentley at any time they wanted last yeah. year if he was on the Patriots practice squad. There's no opportunity if they wanted him, they could have had him. Okay, okay, I that's that's true. He yeah, was he on the practice squad. Waivers. He was there all year, and um, you know we had our attention on Kyle Oletta, and uh, you know, and you know we took a liking to Tanny and so forth, and kept him over Webb. I I understand, I understand all of that. I'm just throwing out a couple of names here for you guys. Fair that, enough. Um, maybe somewhere down the line, we're going to see these guys in the NFL. We're going to see them playing regularly. Right. Thank I you, Len. I think they both have some potential. All right, um, Appreciate the Yeah, we got to run, Len. Yeah. If, if, if you want to get more in the game, you can give us a call the next couple of days. We'll do a lot more in the Super Bowl then. Well, just real quickly, let me be yeah. clear. I, I was not going down the route of finding practice squad players. So I'm going to tweet, Lance wants (laughs) Danny Edling. I didn't didn't think Len was going to go on the opposite end of the spectrum. Yes, I did say that you don't necessarily have to find the successor of the draft. And the example that I constantly bring up, which hits home with the Giants, is when, you know, Jim Fossil was here and they got Kerry Collins. And now, granted, Collins had some off-the-field issues and, you know, didn't necessarily have as much interest and opportunity around the league. But Former top 10 pick, obviously. There you have Mm -hmm. a guy that was looking to reestablish himself, Jim Fossil, 
tweaked his technique, and he thrived here. I think he's one of the most underrated free agent signings in Giants franchise no, history. Absolutely, I would go so far to say. Sure, I agree with that. Yeah, so that that was really where I was going at. But I was but not again, necessarily throwing out Danny Etling. Rarely, and Kerry Collins only became available because of his off the field of problems. Course, absolutely, it's There's not something like that, that happens correct. every single year in the NFL. No, I'm not going to disagree with you there. Correct. correct. If a yeah, guy it's not the that's norm. similar to Kerry Collins, like for example, let's say. Jameis Winston was clean off the field, okay? Or the Giants maybe were comfortable with him off the field, which I don't think that's true, but let's just throw out there a potential whatever. And, you know, Bruce Arians decides this year that I I can't win with this guy. He's on his fifth-year option. They haven't signed him to an extension yet, right? And they say, all right, bye-bye. That's a guy that would make sense. On him, 100%. Yeah, and I I think you'd have to pay more than just flyer money. But I think that that would be the type of guy where you're like, all right, you know, Marcus Mariota, maybe the Titans say, maybe we don't think he's the next guy. And maybe roll dice on him. If the Cowboys decide that they don't want to bring Dak Prescott back if they have a really down year last year, he's on the last year of his rookie deal. Somebody like that. But, again, those guys don't generally become available. Christian in New York is up next. Christian, line three, what's going on? Hey, guys. I know it's the end of the show, so I'll make it quick. I'll talk about one thing. Sure. Um, this is kind of a gut feeling of mine. I think Eli Manning is very seriously considering retiring this year. I think maybe other years he thought about it like a little, but I think this year it's really uh, he's really considering it. And I don't think the team is going to be able to get good enough around him for him to make a serious run ever again. And I, I think he kind of thinks that too. And I'd, I'd like to know if you guys think he's, you know, really considering retiring. I honestly don't. Um, and I, I'm more, and Paul said, I, I, Dettino thinks that he'd rather retire than go play for another team. I don't think that choice is going to be in front of him this year, uh, much like Paul Schwartz, who we had on earlier in the show. He likes to play football. This is his life. He loves preparing for games. That's what he loves to do. What is Eli Manning going to do if he's not playing? And I think, at least talking to Eli at the end of the year, Lance, we heard him in the media availabilities, he thinks he can still play at a fairly high level. And so he says that, yeah. I, I, I don't see it. I think he saw what happened to his brother with the neck and how quickly this can be taken away, and I think he's of the opinion that you play until you can't play anymore and until you're no longer a good player, and I think he still believes he's a good player. Well, and to your point, Christian, about, well, he doesn't think that realistically he has another run in him. And thank you, Christian. Appreciate it. Realistically, I mean, who thought that in 2007 the Giants would have went on that run? Who thought in 2011 the Giants would have went on that run? Now, I'm not trying to get everybody's hopes up, but the point is the NFL is so unpredictable. It's defined by parity that I find it hard to believe that most quarterbacks go into seasons and say to themselves, boy, you know, realistically, we have absolutely no shot because the moment you start thinking like that, John, yeah, then he should retire. Because what's the point of playing football anymore? Yeah, but I don't think he believes that. No, and I don't think he believes that either. But I'm just saying, for anybody that says that, you know, players look at the team and they look at the roster and like, boy, this team has absolutely no shot. I mean, how many people thought, you know, that the Bears would make a tremendous turnaround like they did, especially with a young quarterback? You just don't know. They get Khalil Mack, things trigger, defense turns things around. There's so much unknown in the NFL. Yeah, this is in the NBA where yeah, where you, you got four or five teams that you know realistically have a shot to win a championship. Yeah, and yeah. And, if, and you know the bottom seven or eight have no chance of making the playoffs. Yeah. And like you know, you're Anthony Davis. You look at the Pelicans. You're like, they have no cap space for the next three years. There's literally no way for you to add good players. So I'm want to get the heck out of here. Yeah. So going to the Knicks makes a lot of sense under those circumstances. Uh, Absolutely. Well, yeah. that was not my suggestion. Well, I'm just throwing that out there. You know, Pelicans, Knicks, a huge disparity. Anyway. Let's get back on subject here. Yeah, the Bulls yeah. are the Bulls are doing a lot better, by the way. 
Well, they're having a fine year. Got in a Chicago. lot more hardware though over the course. Oh of history, yeah, the, the, the so. rings. Well, okay, Charlie. Signs of winning. Okay, great, Charlie. Less than 40, Charlie 50 in years. Portland, Maine. Charlie, uh, please yeah. annoy Lance for me. Go ahead. <laughs> he just got irritated because I, I told him the truth. That's all. Annoy Lance. <laughs> yeah. Hey guys. Well, he doesn't have to try hard to do that. No, anyway. he doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Charlie. Hey, the Kerry the Kerry Collins uh, th this year or this year coming up is Flacco. He's the guy who's got a chip on his shoulder. He feels he can still play at a high level, and that is the Kerry Collins. If we're going to go in that direction, that is the dude yeah, you but, should pick yeah, up. Yeah, but Charlie, here's the thing. The Giants weren't going from a player of Eli Manning's caliber to Kerry hey, Collins. I know, they were I'm not going, you know, that, you know, I'm yeah. just saying, but he's a, They were going he's from the unknown Collins, to stability. Uh, Person. Well, no, yeah. I don't I disagree with your parallel, but I would say that if the Giants go in the direction of Joe Flacco, then we're going to have people like you call in and tell us <laughs> that Will Beatty is needed to help Joe Flacco have the ability to throw and, down the field. And by the way, so, Will Beatty's always going to be needed unless we get a. <laughs> and he's always going to be available and, too. And, by and, the way, and, and Charlie, by the way, and I know maybe some people will agree with me, some people won't. Even at his age, if you throw age out the window, I'd rather have Eli Manning quarterbacking my team than Joe Flacco. Yeah, well, I would too. I mean, well, I don't I wanna, just, I'm just saying if Flacco's Eli, never healthy, you know, first of all, I was saying Eli might retire. I'm saying if he retired, oh, I you got know, you. that I would got be you. the direction okay. I would go. That's fair. Hey, but I got a couple things. One thing is, I was so right on this. Oh. Wentworth wanted to be a giant. He doesn't even Reese know his correct name, by the way. Wentworth. Because he wanted to keep Mr. Flowers, who was a bust, and he wouldn't admit he was a bust. And we could have had Wentworth, which I was saying back then for two years ago, and I was right. Charlie, so just, cap just space. I was right. Ca Charlie, cap space yes. was a problem, and his age was a problem. Those were the reasons the Giants didn't go after the guys. Not they didn't think he was a good player. No, the problem was is they kept flowers. They didn't. Jerry Reese didn't want to admit his ego. Wanted to admit that he made a mistake, and and Flowers was a bust. Charlie, don't he you? He was a bust. Charlie, and I don't... said it from day one. This guy was going to be a bust. Right, and he go. was. Charlie, we got to go, man. Thank you. And look, would the Giants have been better if they signed Whitworth? Of course. And he's not J.G. Wentworth. <laughs> well, that's why. He's J.G. Wentworth, he's okay? Wentworth. Um, <laughs> but no one would question that the Giants would have been a better team if they would have signed him. We said that at the time. He was the top free agent left tackle on the market. We knew that. He's also 37 years old for a team that was coming, you know, uh, for a team like the Giants, who they were coming off the playoff year against the Packers that year when he was a free agent, Well, right? and also coming off the year where they spent a lot of money the previous offseason, John. And that's where I was going. All the defensive players. I didn't mean to take the words out no, of your go, mouth. No, go, please. No, I mean, that, right. that I think is important to take into consideration. The Vernon, the Snacks, the Jenkins of the world. You already put all that money investment in defense. So now the question is, yes, you need to upgrade the offensive line, but do you want to now make another big splash on a guy that's up there in age? And do you have then realistically still enough flexibility to to address some of the other needs on the team, which clearly there were yeah, based was, on what transpired in And it's not like they got him on a bargain. Like they, what was it, three or no, $40 the Rams, million dollar contract? Yeah, they had to throw some money at. Let's see what uh, three the Rams for wound if I up recall. giving him. Do we, it was a three-year contract. Yeah, they don't have it in there. They don't have the number. I'll find it real quick here before Wikipedia. We, that's a disappointment. Not helping out yeah. Lance. Normally, it has the money. It usually does, yes. And surprisingly, Three for not. 36. I was yeah, close. There you go. So... Look, $12 million a year is not cheap. And when you have a contract like that, by the way, it's shorter. It's for an older player. So it's hard to, you know, have fun with the cap hits. That's going to be a $12 million cap hit. It just is. 
especially with the, the signing bonus, can't be spread over five or six years for these longer deals So if it's only a three-year contract. So, again, guys, that was, that, that was a cap issue that offseason. I think that, at least in my opinion, that's why the Giants didn't go there. That, that and the H. Yeah, well, and to be fair, what, what Charlie is referring to is Whitworth, Whitworth, I'm going to call him Wentworth, Whitworth spoke at, to the media at the Super Bowl, and the story was he was going back to his free agency and said that he had honed in on a few teams. New York was one of the teams he was interested in. It didn't seem like there was mutual interest, but there's a distinct difference between him having interest in New York and then even if New York was interested, them getting a deal done too. Right. See, the, the Rams came in, they gave him the money, and also big part of that story was he liked the Rams because Sean McVay was the head coach and Sean McVay worked with Jay Gruden and Jay Gruden was in Cincinnati where Whitworth spent his entire career flying to leaving to the Rams. So once again, not saying that there's no validity behind him wanting to come to New York. It's just there's a lot of dynamics that were in play in terms of how that came to fruition with the Rams. Good show, Mr. Meadow. Absolutely. Thank you to Paul Schwartz. It was all brought to you by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes. Thank you for joining us, everybody. Tomorrow it's Lance and Dettino, and then Fiegels and I clean up the weekend, preview the Super Bowl on Friday. We'll see you then, everyone. Have a good one. Have a good one.